गुरवे गौरचंद्राय राधिकाय तदालये कृष्णाय कृष्ण भक्ताय भक्ताय नमो नमः प्रणाम गुड मॉर्निंग एंड हैप्पी थिरुबाप महोत्सव अब श्री रामानंद राय श्री राय रामानंद की जय so today we continue with our series of lectures on radical personalism we are starting today our penultimate class class 24 and today we will be talking about how our godia heaven is here on earth but as usual let's make a brief recap of what we saw last uh, tuesday where we have somehow started with a new topic that will be present in the last three talks on this series where we will addressing the sacredness and the, the, the specific title of the last lecture was the spiritual sacredness of the material world and somehow that same idea will be extended to today's topic and the next one in the last class next tuesday so last class we talk about this the spiritual sacredness of the material world and starting with some classic misunderstandings in the godia world in the godia community about matter uh, not in godia siddhanta but how some people understand godia siddhanta in this connection and we reclarified how transcendence is, has nothing to do with rejection of this world of anything actually but embracing and integrating everything in its proper place so our goal is not to leave samsara to leave this world our goal is not mukti moksha but prem which somehow doesn't care for mukti doesn't care for leaving this world as soon as possible we again describe some of this misunderstanding could be this split mental split or dichotomy between material and spiritual and the both still thinking in terms of i have my spiritual life i have my material life and we are the ones who choose to that to be so also another misunderstanding will be to conceive maya shakti which is generally connected with the material world of with matter conceive maya shakti as a bad person as an ill motive personality somehow of some godia version of christianity christianity's uh, satan satan is in english yeah the devil but it's not the idea maya shakti is a shakti of bhagavan who wants to serve bhagavan as we were to serve bhagavan hopefully another misunderstanding was to conceive the world as illusory in the sense that it doesn't exist is unreal and so on and and, and that take took us to a big part to the present day ecological crisis that we are going through and to different forms of disembodied spirituality through which we reject this body as something naturally intrinsically bad and so on also another misunderstanding was to equate the term mundane with material and mundane as something necessarily profane and actually the mundanity is more in our vision than in matter itself so to say also we talked last Tuesday on the godi approach after presenting some of the general misunderstanding what's the actual godi siddhanta the actual godi approach in this connection to material energy we sure of course there are in shastra some quotes speaking about the world as miserable uh, and so on dukalayama sashvatam and so on but explain how shastra uses the, that language 
to speak to the attached ones that need a certain type of language, certain type of treatment, so to say, an approach. But on another side, we find quotations that say like kind of Bishwam Purnam Sukhayate, for example, Prabodhananda Saraswati, the whole world, the whole universe is an abode of joy. And the other one is this world is full of the opposite of joy. So this, we, we spend some time clarifying how Shastra uses different languages, addressing different audiences with different adhikar or eligibility. Because again, the world is one Shakti of Bhagavan and all Shaktis are in the service of Shaktiman. So it's not against him, but it's actually, and we start to share some quotes about that, this whole world is a byproduct of God's own uh, ananda. We quoted Vedanta Sutra, Loka Vatu Lila Kaivalyam, and the whole idea of Shristi Lila, this material divine play, the whole creation is just the overflowing of Bhagavan Sananda that takes the form of this world. That's what Vedanta Sutra and other sections shared as well. So in this world, in this way, the world can be seen not as an obstacle, not as something against us, but as a portal, as something that is facilitating our experience of transcendence here and there here and today and now. And we also shared the example of the Archivigraha in this connection, how we can see matter in such a way, we can approach matter in the proper way and find Bhagavan present there, find God, find God through bronze, wood, marble, whatever. And there are many other quotes that we share. I won't go into the details. And also we share many quotes from other traditions as well, from other Vaishnavas and Pradayas, from Christianity and so on, about how the world can reveal God uh, and how even the world is, from the Abed perspective, non-different from him. He's in the world, panentheism and so on. And we concluded last class speaking about how there's no inherent profanity, therefore, and how everything is sacred and how we are to develop such a vision. That's our underlying epistemology as Gaudias. They are only sacred things, or they are desecrated things, but there are no profane things. Profanity is in our eye. Beauty lies in the eye of the beholder. The same happens with profanity. So they are only sacred or desecrated things, and we are desecrated them by the profanity in our eyes. So as sadhakas, we have to appreciate this, of course, to see God in everything and see the mat matter as transcendental in the sense of revealing the divine, we need to have a very high vision, which corresponds with the vision of the highest devotees. We as sadhakas may not be there, but we concluded last class mentioning how we are to make the vision of the highest devotees our goal to attain. We should identify with that prospect. And through our present practice, we need to develop that particular vision so we can attain the one that is pertains to the Siddha, to the perfected being. So a not so brief recap today, sorry for that. And let's start or continue the same topic overflowing somehow into today's topic. So let's make a brief introduction to today's title again, our Gaudiya heaven is here on earth. So this class again will be a continuation of the previous one. And we already have established, hopefully, somehow, how the world of matter is not something profane, but actually sacred and even worshipable for that matter. So now that same idea, this principle, will somehow extend, will overflow, and will take it one step further, not only by validating matter as something which is intrinsically revelatory 
of the divine, but also by reflecting today on, <clears throat> on our ultimate goal for, for us, Gaudiya Vaishnavas, which is the attainment of what we call the spiritual world. Hmm? So what's the spiritual world? And we will be speaking how spiritual world, in one sense, is not something somewhere else, as we generally conceive it, but something to be gradually attained, unexperienced, right here on earth, hmm? or nowhere at all. So that's what we will be speaking today. So let's begin with one first section called the spiritual world is not a geographical place. Hmm? Let's, let's un unpack this notion for a minute, as you may already intuit, which is the direction we are pointing to. So as shocking as it may sound to some, hmm, the spiritual world is not about uh, geographical transportation, at least in the way we used to conceive three-dimensional movement going from here to there, reaching the spiritual world in that same way and so on. So that's the thing. When, when I say the spiritual world is not a, is, is not a geographical place, I'm not denying any form, all forms of geography. We have divine transcendental geography. But my point is, that's not the spiritual world. It's not a place that we can attain by moving physically. Okay, well, I'll take a, sh a spaceship and I will transcend physically, materially this world and reach the next universe, galaxy, and eventually reach Baikunth or something like that. The actual movement, again, is not physical, but the actual movement is always internal. And, and that's how we reach eventually the spiritual world. So in other words, the spiritual world is a state of consciousness. Shila Siyarmash will repeatedly say, Brindavan is a state of consciousness. So whenever we reach that state of consciousness that corresponds with the spiritual world, we can say that we have arrived there. Try to think about that. It's not about taking a spaceship without being trained or prepared and having our consciousness somewhere else, but reaching on the consciousness level that consciousness that corresponds with the consciousness prevailing in the spiritual world. And when that happens, we can say we have entered, we have arrived, however you may like to say it, to the spiritual world. And again, all that rich in consciousness starts here and now on earth where we are now. Again, it's an important point to consider over and over again. So in other words, our goal is not to escape from this world. I will make it again. It's not mukti, it's not moksha, it's not leaving samsara. It's not escaping from this world and go to some other planet, so to say. But to attain a particular state of consciousness, a particular level of vision, here and now. Mm -hmm. And when we do that, when we attain such vision... Mm -hmm. What will happen, then we will find that there's, in one sense, nowhere to go. <laughs> no, it's not that I need to go somewhere else because I reached the place through my development of consciousness. At least nowhere to go in the way we think, again, how we go to, to places. Mm -hmm. In other words, we, we should try to find Bhagavan mm -hmm. more and more in the present moment, mm -hmm. which is the only place he can be found. It's not so much about projecting him to another place, distant physical place, or to another time, distant distant time, basically future time, not present, another planet, not this one. We have to pay attention to how we are conceiving and directing our own practice in that connection. 
So we have to try to find Bhagavan more and more present in the present moment. He's only found in the present moment. He's not in the past or in the future. He's fully in the present. He's eternal. Try to understand this point. If God is eternal, he's not a future being. He's present now. The point is how much we are present to his presence in the here and now. So again, our goal, is, our goal as Godias is not mukti, liberation, living samsara, basically, but prem or samsara, as I always like to say, full essence, samsara. Is so essential that it doesn't even care for mukti, moksha, laguta, krit, and so on. And this prem, that is our goal, our and your ultimate necessity, as we will see, this prem will play out, play itself out on earth eternally. Apart from its golok manifestation, there will be an eternal gokul lila on earth going on, sometimes called bhoma lila. So we will, as God just conceive, a perpetual, ongoing Bhoma Lila in both Braj and Navadvip, Lilas. So that's our Godian notion of salvation. Quite a complex one, but it, a very charming one, which is not interested, again, in leaving the world. Or to speak of rejecting the world. It's not an evac evacuation plan, you could say, for the afterlife. It's not a, a private salvation project. That's not the Gaudiya Prayojan. Instead of an evacuation plan to heaven, so to say, somewhere else, our Gaudiya notion of salvation implies a transformation plan, we could say, in earth and for earth, and through earth, here and now. <coughs> and the opposite of this, which is found in different traditions, is the emphasis, and also sometimes it's found in our in our traditions, is an emphasis that sometimes we make on reward in this life as well as in heaven. Do this so you obtain this as a reward, rather than on, 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 on the love and union with God and others here and now. That's, a, that's the actual reward, the actual goal we want to attain, to develop love and relationships with Bhagavan and every other living entity. And that again begins here now. But many times, many traditions speak of heaven, spiritual world, or enlightenment, and that's great. That's okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. However, the mistake in, in some cases is that the, these traditions or, or, or those who practice them, some of them, they push these ideas off into the next world. When they talk about heaven, they do not conceive you can experience heaven here, heaven on earth. Spiritual world, some distant time, some distant place, not here. Enlightenment, not now. So that's a subtle difference, but an important one that may affect how we approach and embrace our practice. As we already mentioned in our talks on both vulnerability and empowerment and individuation, as if you may recall, our notion of heaven is known our Gaudiya notion of heaven is also known as Naralila, or a place, or a divine play, and place where everyone is fully divine, but also fully human. That's the idea of human-like. The like has to be with fully divine and fully human. So in Christian terms, we could say we are created in the image of God, so to say. Ultimately, he is fully divine and fully human, and we are created with that 
created, quote-unquote, not with the beginning, with that prospect in mind. Because, again, he's fully human and fully divine. We have to integrate these two possibilities in him, in us, as a prospect. So we are destined to be in this Naralila, according to the Gaudiya perspective. That's the ultimate reach of the Atma, to be part of the Naralila. And, of course, someone will argue, could argue at this point, well, if our ultimate potential in bhakti has to do corresponds with this fully divine, fully human stage scenario, but the soul, the atma is human in, by constitution ontologically, is consciousness human? Or do we have human consciousness, which is different to say consciousness is always human, which is not, of course. And it's not that the atma is human. Or we could ask, are we conscious that we are human? But human is more of a physical, psychic designation. But actually the Atma in itself is devoid of humanity. It's not that the, the Atma is made of humanity. And of course, someone may pause this argument and may we may agree, not necessarily not, it's not that the Atma is human or consciousness is human per se. But we go, yes, again, will reply, that's true. Atma is not human. Consciousness is not human by nature. But the, the Atma, consciousness, it's another way of speaking about the same, has the potential of being fully human in eternity. That's Narlil again. That's our prospect. So again, if we want, therefore, if we want to attain this Narlila, that's a fully human, fully divine place. So we have to gradually become fully human here and now, again. <laughs> and, and in the context of being a sadhak in the concept of spiritualizing our present existence. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, sometimes we go the abhishan of some of us evade our present human homework, our present human reality with lots of heaven talk, so to say, instead of being fully humans in the here and now. So that shouldn't happen ideally, to talk too much about the place we are going to be, how everything is going to be there, what we will be doing there, but without doing as much as we can to to start doing all those things here and now. If we don't start here and now, it won't happen there. We won't reach there because we have to gradually get there. And the beginning of that gradually starts here and now. So sometimes we also find in the Gaudiya community some excessive emphasis, I will say, on this idea of attaining the Lila. Uh, and what do I mean by excessive emphasis? I'm, I'm, I'm totally fine with emphasizing that as a goal. But again, sometimes that's emphasized as something that has little to do with this world and our present situation as sadhakas. And again, we are creating this split, this dualistic split, this world, spiritual world. Mm -hmm. In other words, for some people, Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and for some Gaudiya Vaishnavs, <laughs> has its eyes set on one goal, transcendence and lila, and the world and other humans here are to be left behind, mm -hmm. and our humanity as well, probably. So again, this playing out of this split has made, I would say, numerous members of our community, many of them I know, to leave the practice altogether, unfortunately, or to remain officially as members, but unofficially as disconnected ones. So it's important to consider what can we do to bridge these two realities back together as much as we can without doing, of course, an unnecessary hodgepodge, but properly connected connecting heaven and earth, so to say. 
So as we already said in, in the previous class, again, this world is not profane. This world is divine. The whole backdrop, backdrop or background of this world is the overflowing of God's ananda, one form of his lila, as we mentioned. So our own becoming more and more divine within it, it's a crucial testament to our love of God. If I love God or if I want to love God, and I'm this world, and this world is deeply connected to his love, then I will try to become more and more divine, more and more human myself here as a testament of my desire to attain that love. Interestingly, heaven itself perpetually comes to earth, as we hinted before, and we'll explain that more in detail now, to make heaven perpetually comes to earth to make this point very clear to each of us. Why? Because for us, Gaudiya Vaishnavs, and maybe some of you never heard about this, but it is part of our Gaudiya Siddhanta, which is both Krishna and Mahaprabhu, again, the same person, don't forget, <laughs> they're executing their lila, of course, perpetually in Golok Rindavan, in Golok Navadvip, but also when their lila on earth finishes, it starts immediately in another planet earth. So they are continuously, eternally, so to say, executing their lila on earth as well, apart from the dimension in Golok non-stop so this perpetual executing of earthly lila is validating this point we don't need to reject this world in fact if eventually we become servants eternal servants of Bhagavan in Golok we could say that we will be also accompanying him on earth for all of his different exploits as Krishna as Mahaprabhu in each of his Boma lilas we will be there as well so if we will be with him at Golok eternally and with him in his eternal ongoing pastimes on earth, in one sense, we could say we will remain eternally on earth, hmm? apart from being in Golok. I mean, don't ask me how this happens. Don't try in the sense, don't try to make that unfit into our, your head. That's not possible. But that's what Revelation is sharing with us. Hmm? So my main point here is our eternal prospect, in one sense, is to remain eternally on earth. Hmm? That's how much Godias care little for moksha, <laughs> and they are all about for prem. So, uh, as the infinite manifests the finite, we could say, we could also say that the finite manifests the infinite, mm? in the sense that this world mm? will show us God, not only as we spoke last class, but also again by hosting Him eternally, as we were saying, by hosting His entourage, His lila, perpetually, ongoing boma lila. In this way, we could say that heaven includes earth, but also that earth reveals heaven because the whole spiritual world descends here and manifests continuously on earth. So in that sense, God is, God is ultimate, but God is intimate, both at the same time. <laughs> so yes, well, I mean, by saying this, please don't, hopefully you're not entering to some form of breakdown or something. Krishna is still fully transcendent, this doesn't is not making him less of what he is. But probably, but he's not transcendent, probably as we first thought he or we first imagined he's transcendent this way. He's over there very far in a very far away cloud, as some of us may have conceived of God in our Christian bringing up or whatever. <clears throat> so God is out there, but eternally over here simultaneously. That's how it works. Transcendence and immanence as well. He's there, he's here, he's everywhere. 
in between and so on. As we celebrated recently in Narasim Kachatur, the CM Pralad Maras will say that he's everywhere. Ranikaship will ask, is he in your pillar, in this pillar? And he will say, Pralad will say, where is he not? Mm. <laughs> so Bhagavan is everywhere, over there, over here. And the same applies to his abode, as we are explaining, a spiritual abode, which can therefore be only inhabited in terms of spirit, spiritual abode, or in terms of a certain type of consciousness, as we mentioned, a state of consciousness, to be more precise. When you reach that state of consciousness, you are there. Call it Golok, call it Gokul over here. Famous example in this connection <clears throat> that shows how you can access Vrindavan, wherever you may be, so to say, is that of Mahaprabhu when he was in the forest of Jarikanda. Jarikanda for us, Gaudiya Bhajnav, is not a, a Tirtha, a sacred place. At least it was not before Mahaprabhu entered this <laughs> forest. And it's not a dham, no? a sacred abode of Bhagavan. Again, after Mahaprabhu performed this lila, it's especially venerated by us. But before that, he entered just a jungle. So it's, it's not there was not an it was not a special place, but Mahaprabhu there saw Brindavan fully. So he was not in a tirtha, he was not in a dam, but he was accessing Brindavan in the jungle, so to say. And with that, he was setting the precedent. He was showing this world has the potential to be appreciated as something transcendent, and therefore the material world, so to say, has mostly to do in how we choose to see reality, to perceive things around us. Material world means material eye to perceive reality, which are our lenses, our spectacles. <laughs> it's not so much about where do I am geographically. Again, Mahaprabhu was in an ordinary, quote-unquote, ordinary jungle, but he was in Vrindavan. Or when Mahaprabhu was in Puri, and he found Vrindavan there. Or famous exam, Lila, when situation with Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta, was told by Gorky Shortas Babaji, never go to Calcutta. And basically, one of the main first things he did, externally at least, is he went there and started to preach. And someone said, but your guru told you not to go there. And he said, I never went to Calcutta. I always remained at the lotus feet of my master. Mm -hmm. Or when Srila Prabhupada was leaving Vrindavan to come to the West, and someone asked, asked why, why are you, are, is he leaving Vrindavan? But actually, he was not leaving Vrindavan. He was extending Vrindavan to other parts of the world. And those who asked that, even though he, they were physically in Vrindavan, they were not in Vrindavan because they were not able to understand the real nature of Raj. So again, it's about where you are in terms of consciousness, not necessarily in a geographical sense. So please remember, both spirit, material world and spiritual world, in one sense, are not mere geographical spaces but states of consciousness. People may be physically in front of us. I think all of us have that experience. But internally, they may be somewhere else. Or we can experience, we could say, hell on earth, in our minds. We can be geographically on earth, but in the mental level, mentally in hell, or in heaven, in some form of swarga standard. So if we can experience hell here, why not experience spiritual world here? Should be any obstacle to that? No. Mm. So when I say heaven, of course, ultimately our Gaudiya heaven is, has nothing to do with what we call the heavenly planets or Swargalok. You know, for us, Gaudiya heaven means Golok 
or its earth, earthly expression called Gokul. Hmm? All this has been described in detail, these different abodes or dimensions by Srila Jiva Goswami, for example, in his Krishna Sandarbha, among other literatures. <coughs> so again, if in this lifetime, hmm, in this world, you attain a corresponding consciousness that matches with that of Golok, so to say, according to us Godias, it means uh, when that happens, you will, when living this particular body, you will be eventually transferred. Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur expresses, explains this in Raghavarma Chandrika. You will be transferred to a womb in Gokul, in the Vrindavan on a planet Earth where Krishna is performing his Leela. And from there, you will attain Golok, Golok Vrindavan. But as we explained, then you, you'll go back to Gokul simultaneously and eternally to all those planet Earth where Krishna will be performing his Leela on Earth while remaining in Golok. <laughs> so in one sense, it all begins here. We are here practicing, trying to attain this spiritual world. But once you attain that, it goes back here. So it all begins here and it all continues here as well. So there's no need, my point is, to reject the here, the material world, the planet Earth, and so on. In fact, to make the point that the spiritual world is, is a state of consciousness we have, or a place made of it, we could say, a place made of consciousness, of faith, as Srila Siddharma will say, plans of faith. Bhagavan, he says to Narada in a famous verse, Naham tishtami vaikunte, tatra tishtami narada, joginam hridayesuva, advayanti tamam bhakta. He said, I'm not in Vaikuntha. He said, I'm not in the spiritual world, he's saying. And then he will say, I'm there with where my devotees are worshipping me. Of course, people are worshipping him in Vaikuntha. <laughs> but he wants to, the verse wants to make a point. <laughs> he's in Vaikuntha, of course. But he, the main emphasis, I'm there wherever that may be, even earth, where my devotees are worshipping me. If that's Vaikuntha, okay, I'm there. But the main point is, I'm wherever that may be, planet Earth, Jarikanda, any country, any any corner of this planet, even. It's all about consciousness. So as the external circumstances, another example, won't change your inner feelings. If you don't change internally, if you may be in any particular situation, but internally you don't allow yourself to be affected by that. The same applies with the spiritual world, we could say. It's not that we go there without being already being there. Or on some level, we could say at least, or at least being prepared to be there. It's not that I'm not prepared, I'm not training myself to enter that dimension, and then everything I, I I'm and suddenly I'm there and everything suddenly changes. It doesn't work like that. So that's the challenge that we have as sadakas in the present moment. We we have to engage in this exercise, prepare ourselves, train our heart from where we are here and now. It's not about, I just, as I, we mentioned many times, just limit myself to whatever. Finish my daily number of quota of rounds or something, and I'm I, I'm not absorbed, I'm not full in love, but suddenly if I completed my number, Krishna has to take, take me to Gulag or something. It doesn't work like that. Hmm? So everything begins where we are now. Again, instead of rejecting the world hmm, as something illusory, hmm, unbecoming, bad, an over-idealized transcendence in a, in a faraway place or faraway time, we, we should, instead of that, we should inject, so to say, the divine presence in each atom 
Or we could even better put, we should perceive that divine presence already injected in every atom from time without beginning. And, and we will realize, again, so much to do. Again, as we mentioned, Siddhartha Sai Vishnu is in, inhabiting every atom. Scientists themselves are finding infinity in every atom. Why? Because every atom is an embassy of the Supreme, we could say. Every atom is oozing with the presence of the beloved. Infinity. The, the scientists, secular science is also perceiving that. We can even speak with the secular scientists in terms of infinity, not necessarily saying God. And I, I'm sure they will agree. Both of us will agree. Because infinity is in every atom. <clears throat> so be careful again with conceiving all this stuff as being farther from where it is. So in conclusion to this first section, the main point here was the spiritual world is not a geographical place as we are used to think of it. And the Gaudiya heaven, Gulok, Gukul, the Gaudiya heaven is to be found unattained here on earth to begin with. And as we mentioned eventually, we, one returns to that earth, eternal earth, Lila, forever. So let's continue unfolding this notion in the next section by explaining the connection between the Niti Lila, Golok, and the Srishti Lila, or the Lila on earth, the Boma Lila, Gokul, and bo how both converge here on earth somehow. So the next section will be called like that, Srishti Lila and Niti Lila meeting on earth. Where the Lila descends over and over again. Sorry. <coughs> so, as we already explained in the previous class, Shastra describes the world as being created out of an overflowing of God's own joy. That's a very unique idea, incredible. So, so this world is a byproduct of God's intoxicated state of inner celebration. Again, this is not mere poetry. That's a fact for us Kodias. That's a very objective statement from the scriptures. Therefore, this material creation is not seen as something mundane or profane, but Tristi Lila, or the play of creation. It's Lila, something divine, it's a celebratory movement. So Bhagavan is, himself comes here repeatedly, perpetually employing planet Earth as a dramatic stage, so to say, to perpetually perform his lila on Earth. We have to give time and space in our hearts and minds to contemplate these issues deeply and to wonder about the breadth and depth and potential of them. So that love that this that this world is an overflow of comes from God's loving interaction, so to say, with his devotees in the Nitya Lila. We could we oh, of course there's no beginning in time, but that's how is the causal connection is made. This world is an overflowing of God's love, and God's love primarily expresses itself to begin with with his devotees and eternal associates in the Nitya Lila. So in other words, <clears throat> the overflowing overflowing of love from the Nitya Lila extends itself on earth in the form of the Shristi Lila, whose ultimate purpose of this play of creation is to extend and facilitate the loving interaction between Bhagavan 
and his devotees and include all of us in that prospect because as women and, and, and to facilitate that to that to every jiva because again by extension and further overflowing and sprinkling not only krishna comes here with his with sri rad and all the brajabas to extend their loving interaction but the overflowing of that overflowing <laughs> includes us we have that hope that will sprinkle us because remember for every jiva is in potential a devotee so everyone is included in that generous gaze that Bhagavan sees everyone with through as a devotee. So therefore, for us, Gaudiya Vaishnava, there is a very intimate connection between Nitya Lila and Sristi Lila. We could say heaven on earth, heaven coming on earth repeatedly. So this bridging, bridging of heaven and earth happens here on earth where we are now. What we may call, again, in another terms, the Bhoma Lila. So Shristi Lila is the play of creation. Nitya Lila is the divine plane in Golok. And Bhoma Lila is when that eternal Lila enters the Shristi Lila. In a particular Gokul, in a particular Vrindavan, where heaven and earth get together, again, to further expand their own unlimited limits, so to say. <laughs> so in Anucheda, 102 of Paramatma Sandarva Sri Jiva Goswami makes a similar point. He says all of Bhagavan's acts, his, such as the, his act of creation, Sri Lila, are propagated only for the sake of his devotees. But as we mentioned, every Jiva is a devotee in potential. So this prospect includes each one of us. Similarly, Srimad Bhagavatam 10th canto, we have chapter 87, verse 2. You can go to the verse. It's a related verse to this topic. But I want to point to share with you a few words from Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's <clears throat> comment on this verse. He says, Sri Krishna creates the Mahatattva, the senses, sense objects, elements, mind, and prana for their functioning in relation to the soul and for the welfare of the jivas. In other words, the same point. Bhagavan manifests all these elements of the material creation for the welfare of the jivas. And ulti ultimately, with this idea in mind, the, the, the ultimate potential of each soul to attain hmm, this Narlila. Another related verse is Bhagavatam also, Canto 11, Chapter 3, Verse 3. And in this case, the Barbar Tadipika or Sridhar Swami's commentary on this verse, he says something very interesting. Let me share with you. He says, for what purpose did God create? The verse answers, this verse of the Bhagavatam, for the complete fulfillment of the individual self who worships him. <clears throat> so very clearly, Siddhar Swami makes the point, the purpose of creation is the complete fulfillment of the individual self who worships him. So all selves, all souls are ultimately their potential is in connection to the worship of Bhagavan, and the whole creation is for the complete fulfillment of that worship. Mm. So we are included in the equation. Don't feel isolated <laughs> by this whole project called Shristilila. So in other words, it's not that Krishna only cares for his devotees. Mm. It's an important point to make over and over again. Mm. He cares for everyone. He's the best friend of everyone. In the Bhagavatam, these days I've been reading Seventh Canto, so many verses where Bhagavan is described as the best friend, the well-wisher of every single living entity. The Bhagavad Gita says the same, Suhridam Sarbabhutanam, 
So it's not his only he's not only the well wisher of his devotees. He does not only have unconditional love for his devotees. If that that, will, that wouldn't be too unconditional, that will be very conditional. I only love those who love me. You love me first and then I love you. That that doesn't sound too unconditional. So he has love and unconditional love for all. So this whole Tristilila is not only for uh, those who are already devotees. Everyone is included in that prospect. The material world is created to facilitate once becoming a devotee, basically. Once becoming a lover of God. That's the ultimate purpose of the Tristilila, which is an ex it's a product of the love and interaction between God and his devotees. Therefore, the overflowing of that must include that same intention in its DNA. So the principle is the same. Due to bhakti, whether in the bhakti in the hearts of those in the lila, bhakti in the hearts of the sadhagas on earth who have not yet attained perfection, or bhakti in potential in connection to every other jiva, uh, due to bhakti, Bhagavan's joy overflows <coughs> and this universe manifests as a result of that from whatever place you want to take it. And then he comes into it to further celebrate this fullness over and over again. How do we call this divine descent? Another term will be avatar. So a few words regarding the notion of avatar, which implies, of course, avatar means divine from up to down. It implies that God this comes repeatedly to this world, not only once. And by coming to this world, he's validating the world's existence, purpose, prospect, intention in relation to him, to his source. And through that descent, through that avatar, Bhagavan is helping us in our own conception of things. He's coming over and over again. So we understand what's the purpose of all this. The user's manual here is the purpose of this. Without such divine descent, probably we will be tempted, we could say, to overplay the distance and the distinction between God and humanity. Hmm? We may be tempted to do so. Hmm? So he's coming to bridge that gap, to make that even closer and closer. Since in one sense, heaven is descending on earth. That's what we would say, avatar or Shristilila. But again, when we arrive to heaven, to our Godia heaven, we'll find earth there because our Godia heaven bring down will be earth-like, earthly, Nara Lila, fully human. So heaven is coming to earth, but when we go to heaven, we will find earth there. So, so how much we can speak of these two being actually different? Hmm? Heaven and earth, heaven and earth. Hmm? That's why today's title is Our Godia Heaven is Here on Earth. Hmm? Hmm? And our earth is there in our Godia Heaven in its perfected form, if you will. Hmm? So again, <clears throat> we sometimes spend too much time trying to get up there, hmm? heaven, somewhere over there, that we miss that God's big leap, big leap is in the principle of avatar was to come down here. So why concern so much trying to take the elevator over there? Well, Bhagavan himself, by his mercy, has come here. And, and, and again, and Sri Krishna, especially in his form as Sriman Mahaprabhu, he's not only coming here, but he's extending his very presence and that of his abode <clears throat> as much as he can with extreme, overwhelming, overflowing mercy, reaching and touching each of us, what to speak of Nitai. That's Navadvip in that case, an extension of Brindavan, the most Odaric, Odaria-like face of Braj, the most generous. Braj in its utmost generosity. 
So in relation to the principle of avatar, and, and, and in connection to Mahaprabhu in particular, which is an extreme divine descent reaching as, as closer as he can, although we can make a distinction between the term avatar and incarnation, generally it's used incarnation, but sometimes it's not, because it's say, no, avatar means he comes here, but he's not touched by material flesh, so to say incarnation and incarnate in flesh but we could even say if Bhagavan will desire to inhabit human flesh what's the problem he he nonetheless will not be necessarily affected if he does so or limited by it actually if he does so even he if he's affected or limited trans in, in the concept of Lila that will be in such a way that they will be nourishing uh, his Lila on earth he can do whatever he likes. So be careful, again, not to put limits on the unlimited. So in this sense only, I'm using the word incarnation to connect with avatar. And in this sense only, we could speak in terms of incarnationalism in regards to Mahaprabhu. Mahaprabhu entering, if you will, flesh and experiencing, getting closer and closer to us, and nourishing his lila again. An instance that makes him still divine especially close to us again closer and closer for example the idea that Mahaprabhu was in a body is a given he was in a body of course spiritual body we will say and we know examples like that like like his body is empathically so to say vicariously injured for example when Haridas Thakur was whipped in these 20 something markets eventually it is shown that Mahaprabhu received the whips himself his body was whipped. When we hear of Mahaprabhu eating, sleeping, sweating blood, we are hearing what we may call somatic content. And that can be taken at face value without compromising Mahaprabhu's ontological position. Follow my point. I mean, there's no problem if we even accept that. Again, he's fully divine, but he's fully human. So part of that fully human side may imply all the things. Hmm? So therefore, in highlighting the idea that God came near to us to bring us closer to him hmm, is crucial. Try to think about this. If not, we still project and maintain God far and far and far away. And many of us come with that prejudice and bias from our childhood or past experiences. So the idea that God came near to us to bring us with him hmm, is crucial for a theology in, in which our lives and our actual lived realities matter to God mm. and constitute the starting point of our relationship with eternity. We have to start somewhere, mm. not only again with Krishna and Braj or Gauri Nadia, but especially, I don't know, someone like Nityananda Prabhu, again, God. Now he's in the bars, in the brothels, He's go, getting as close as possible to our fallen condition. That's the God we worship. And we, go, we know God redeems not only the most, especially in the Gorlila, God is redeeming the most fallen. He's not re re redeeming only the most dharmic or pious. So he's known as Patit Pavana, not as, not as dharmic Pavana or something. Of course, this is not as an excuse to continue falling. <laughs> But as understanding and being filled with hope and gratefulness and having our hearts move and seeing how close he's getting to us, how much. 
So again, from heaven coming down here on earth, we will go to earth being eternally present in the Narlila, in heaven, in our Godia heaven, again, not Swarga. And all of these are states of consciousness that have to be attained here to begin with. Sorry if I'm pounding this pose, pose too much, but we need to internalize these ideas. So be careful with having a dualistic take on them here and there. This is further confirmed, for example, in a famous verse from the Bhagavatam, Narayana, Parasarvi, and so on. Sixth canto, chapter 17, verse 28, which says, describes how devotees who are solely engaged in this in bhakti to, to Bhagavan, they'll never fear any condition of life. From there for them, heavenly planets, liberation, hellish planets are all the same. For such devotees are interested only in the service of the Lord. So they are not making all these distinctions in their mind. Here, there, bad wood, profane, sacred. They're so absorbed they attain that state of consciousness. Mm. Similarly, Bhaktinathakur sings in Saranagati, the 11th section in his prayers, that as long as I can remain your servitor, oh my Lord, I do not care. I do not care whether I'm born again in samsara as a worm, as an insect. Uh, however, I have no desire to be born as Brahma if that's averse to serving you. So he makes that point. If that's favorable for bhakti, anukul, seva, I have no problem with this world. Mm. There's no problem with this world even being an insect. Bhaktinathakur Bay making very bold point. But it's all about our attitude while residing here. Again, it's not about going somewhere or an, at some other place, but the attitude while residing here, which is again anukul, seva, to all render offer favorable pleasing service to the object of our affection. And when someone reached that point, fully, that's called for us Jivan Mukta. Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu 1 to 87 confirms this. One who engages in the divine service of the Lord with body, mind, and words is to be considered liberated in all conditions of material existence, although engaged in many so-called material activities. So even externally, that person is here, it's not here, but it's there internally. And you can see that by the way that person is conducting himself, herself in their life. So in this way, we have seen how the background to this world, unmaterial creation, is God's own joy. Don't forget that one. And the natural overflowing and extension of it in the form of sharing that gift with all of us. And this sacred invitation is embedded in creation itself. It's in the DNA, in the bloodstream of creation, divine love. In other words, the intention of this Shristi Lila, the intention of the principle of divine descent or avatar that we mentioned in this particular section, is to ultimately <clears throat> allow every jiva, every soul to, em to embrace that divine love which sets this universe in motion, so to say. So anyhow, some words in connection to, to this idea of Shristi Lila, heaven on earth, Shristi Lila, Nitya Lila meeting here on earth. So let's go to the next section. Bear with me a few more moments. <clears throat> I would like to share a few words that we will be mostly based on 
Srila Siddhar Maharaj's uh, book, Subjective Evolution of Consciousness, one of my favorites, incredible, incredible sections there. And in connection to what we have been talking about, this section is called The Infinite World of Lila is Everywhere. Again, the words of Srila Siddhar will be, you have just to adjust your angle of vision. <laughs> so one way, I will share many quotes from that section, from that book here in this section. So one way of Srila Siddhar Maharaj speaking how the spiritual world is right here, so to say, is a state of consciousness, is by him emphasizing how the infinite is present in the finite. So in that sense, there is no need to go somewhere else, so to say. So he will say, let me quote, all these quotes from subjective evolution of consciousness. He says, everything is full of wonder. If we analyze the atom, we will be in wonder. Only we impose limitations. But when we analyze the atomic parts of wood or stone, we will be in wonder. The infinite is everywhere. Perfection is everywhere. The trouble is that with our limited thinking, we have produced a world of limits. So it's all about our angle of vision, adjusting our spectacles, developing, learning how to see. When we learn how to see, we will see everything right here. He will say in another case, when you have the proper conception, proper vision, then you can read Krishna Lila everywhere. Again, it's all about having to begin proper conception in theory and eventually transform that conception in a vision. So again, it's all about the proper conception, the proper vision, or reaching a particular state of consciousness, as we have been talking about today. Another quote. When these illusory conceptions are fully removed, we will find that everywhere it is Krishna and Krishna only. But in order to attain that stage, all planes of limited conception must be crossed. From soul to super soul, the soul must enter deeper and deeper into reality. You will find everything there. There you will find that Radharani and Krishna in Vrindavan are not false. It is neither poetry nor imagination. Hmm? So again, all this is emphasizing how reaching the spiritual world is not so much about a physical geographical movement, hmm? but something, a movement in terms of inner perception, removing illusory conceptions, removing certain patterns of thinking that create the world of limits. Hmm? And then Srila Siddhartha says, when, when one attains such a vision, and that of course corresponds with the highest type of devotees, but as we mentioned, we are to be identified with that prospect and with that vision as our goal to attain. So when one attains such vision, Srila Siddhartha says, everywhere we will find the kingdom of God, Krishna's kingdom, Mahaprabhu's kingdom exists. We have only lost the proper angle of vision by which to see it. So again, the spiritual world is right here if you have the eyes to see it. Mahaprabhu's kingdom, the world of Lila. It's just about adjusting the angle of vision, which is, of course, much more challenging to engage that here and now that you just, they dream and think, oh, someday I will be taken there. I don't know how, why. (laughs) 
So we should be realistic, honest. So since through this vision, of course, every atom, we could say, will reveal transcendence to us. When Mahaprabhu, for example, speaks of manadena in the third verse of Shikshastakam, offering respects to everyone or everything, again, he does not only mean to respect everyone, every human being, but every aspect, every atom, oozing with the presence of Bhagavan. Everything can facilitate the experience of the infinite. Mahaprabhu himself gave this example when, among other things, he told, as we already mentioned, every word first is the name of Krishna. Every object in this world, which is addressed through a word, is first and foremost a name of God. In the sense that anything here can act as a portal to infinity. Every atom, again, as Sri Lanka will say, every atom will fill us with wonder. So this principle from which one can go to a specific point in this world and reach its source, reach the widest universal conception, sometimes this principle is called concrete to universal. So let's go to one last section there for a minute before concluding. Our last section will be called like that, from concrete to universal. From this world, from an atom here, to infinity, to the world of Lila. So this principle of concrete to universal implies that if properly addressed, a concrete object in this world, whatever, can connect us with the universal principle, or in other words, with the source of that object. With the source, and of course the source of that object, whatever it may be, is the source of everything, because everything has a common source. Richard Rohr will say nicely in this connection, he said once, while philosophers tend towards the universals and poets love the particulars, it is the mystics who teach us how to encompass both. Philosophers always are more in abstract notions of the universal and certain principles, so to say, and poets enter into the details of the immediacy here. The mystic will integrate both universal and particular. This is what we are expected to do as Gaudias, not to excessively focus on one at the cost of the other, not to lose sight of the universal because of the particular, not to lose sight of the particular because of the universal, but create a proper bridging and integration. In other words, as we already mentioned, the concrete atoms of this world can show or can and should converge in the lila of Radha and Krishna, Sila Sirma said, if you adjust your angle, you will find the world of lila everywhere. If you have the eyes to see. Again, Prahlad saw a concrete pillar made of material atoms, stone, but he saw his istadev there. Ranyakashipu was not seeing that, but Prahlad was seeing that. So that atom, that concrete, was revealing the universal principle. So to put it more bluntly, we could say the whole cosmos is not to be seen as a mere meaningless explosion in sense of the Big Bang, but a slob story. That's the unfolding of this whole galaxy. It's a love story, a constant ongoing Abhisar, love journey, love story. It's not just boom, and that's it, meaningless. It's a very deep, comprehensive, significant love story. So in fact, when... If we properly approach the concrete, again, this world, it will reveal the world of spirit to such a degree, we could say, that we will, that we will doubt to continue calling it 
the material world. Matter will reveal spirit to such point that we will doubt to continue calling that matter. In this connection, let me quote something else from Sula Siddharmaras, you know, because once Sula Siddharmaras was asked, students say, well, we learned that matter is dead and the living entities manipulated, like matter is inert, so to say. But when we develop a higher realization, will we see that matter is also living? That was the question presented. <clears throat> so you may imagine what Sula Siddharmaras replied to this, but I will read it for you. So he says, yes. Now he confirms this idea. When you attain a higher vision, matter is also living. And that is known as Santarasa. In a higher stage of realization, we can detect consciousness everywhere, within glass, stone, earth, wood, in all the innumerable shapes and colors in which matter may appear. We are always in the midst of consciousness. Consciousness is all-pervading, but is situated in different gradations of conception. The gradation of conception may differ, but it is all consciousness, all eternal. So again, it may be difficult for us here now to fully understand what does it, this mean, because this is not something to be understood by our brain, but to be fully experienced. And we are receiving some guidelines to get to that experience. Because again, personalities like Srila Siddharmaraj, who are tattodarshins or seers of the truth, are showing us the way. This is how you will look reality ultimately. Go in that direction. Confirm your search in this way. So some of these ideas may not only be difficult, maybe even new for some of us to hear, or again, maybe difficult to accommodate, maybe because we, we, were, we were embracing some different, slightly different or widely different paradigm from before. But again, it's there in the words of the Shastra and the Sadhus. I'm trying to hopefully substantiate my words with different quotation from Revelation. So if that's presented in Shastra and Sadhu, then we should be willing to reconsider whatever we have idealized or over-idealized and instead embrace whatever is ideal. Idealized versus ideal, so to say, depending each one's stage, of course. But in other words, we should be willing to leave our conceptual comfort zone and change our angle of vision to continue growing, as Srila Siamaraj always invites us to do. Remember, our comfort zone means our own agenda, our own idea about almost everything. Where we remain there and we are fixing, okay, this is like this, this is like this, don't change the script, please. But that's the duty of revelation and the salus. So our conceptual comfort zone, our ideas about almost everything, that needs to be dethroned for heaven to happen in us here on earth. So anyhow, some thoughts about this idea. And let's go to a conclusion section, wrapping up with a few more thoughts before concluding today's lecture with your permission. So in connection to seeing how to see this world, even to the point of seeing this world as favorable and also in connection to Leela, we go back, let's go back for a minute to the last class and some points in connection to the present class and mention how we could say that there are three different in, in general, I mean, I'm summarizing here, but we could say that there are often three main possible worldviews. 
in relation to how we see the world. One may think the world is against us, the universe is against us. Lots of people think like that. Some other people will think the universe is indifferent to us. And some others will think the universe is for us, supporting us in our favor, so to say. Of course, if someone stays in an indifferent universe for long or with that vision, that people usually move then to the second world, to the other worldview with realities perceived as hostile or judgmental on the, the universe is against me. But not and in that case, not only is God not involved, indifferent, but God has to be appeased because if not, he will get angry. Oh, that's against me. So for such people, for those who hold that vision, not us, hopefully, God is somehow actively against humanity. He's watching us, he's judging us, he's critiquing us, and certainly not on our side. There's lots of this, even among theistic people, believers. So many of us claim we don't believe that. We go with this and say, no, that's not my stance. But sometimes it's clear that we do from the fearful way <laughs> we sometimes live. You follow my point? You may not say that, you may not even think about it consciously, but you may conduct yourself in such a way that you're giving that idea. You are playing out your actual beliefs by living in a fearful way. Of course, those first two alternatives are not how we are invited to see the world, nor God. As hostile, as indifferent, but in the third worldview, the universe is not against us, but nor is sitting out there, so to say, indifferent. But somehow... The world and God, again, he's on our side. In other words, what does it mean? That grace, mercy is everywhere, as we have been trying to share these days, these classes. And it's good to be here. Again, it's not something bad that we need to reject and leave as soon as possible. So that's our ideal conclusion as Gaudiya Vaishnavas. Not, not only the world is not bad, but it's so good <laughs> and it's so much in our favor that God himself comes here over and over again executing his lila, remains here eternally on earth executing his lila and invites us to join him in the here and now and forever in, on earth in his lila on earth. So again, our Gaudiya heaven is here on earth <laughs> in one sense. I'm not canceling the possibility of Golok, but I'm just extending that dimension to this other a nuanced conception. And I personally feel that this, this idea is totally necessary for us Godias, and not only for us Godias, for everyone to understand the world is favorable. It's not against me. It's in favor of me. Because we need a worldview. And again, all of us, not the community, we need all of us a worldview that will can help us to cultivate meaning in the present moment and remain faithful to the here and now, no need to, to escape from that, no need to see that as a threat and project something that something nice will happen after. Because again, we need to cultivate meaning in the here and now. Here is where the spiritual world begins, in the here and now. It's nothing we have to believe in for later, so to say, something that will happen eventually when I get there. It begins here. And as we mentioned, it continues here forever. <laughs> so as you may have perceived, I, I'm approaching this theme of radical personalism 
the broader theme of this series, we have approached it in a hundred ways. And speaking about vulnerability, individuation, divine ignorance, guru tattva, and contempt and prayer, and so many other topics we have shared. Now, why so many approaches to the same topic, radical personalism? Because most of us, including me first, <laughs> have also 100 levels of resistance and denial and avoidance and bias. So for some reason, in our complicated world or worldview, it's very hard to teach simple things. In one sense, we could say this is simple, but we are not simple. <laughs> so the teaching we have been sharing in this series, of course, is based on, on Shastra. We try to make it very clear how this is connected with what our revelation shares. But it's not only based on Shastra, but also in common sense, which in, in general is uncommon. We could call it uncommon common sense. But this is part of our project, to reclaim our common sense as Gaudias, to reclaim our Gaudia common sense in one way or another. And again, a good way to begin such a project is now, here on Earth, where everything we need will be eventually relieved, revealed. Sorry, I'm relieved. Why not? <laughs> so while finding heaven on Earth has mainly to do with the state of consciousness, as I've tried to share, such a vision, such a state of consciousness, again, corresponds with that of the highest devotees. We already made that point as well. And while we may not be there, while we may not be yet Anuttam Bhagavat, we have to somehow start to relate to that vision hmm? in, in, in one way or another as a sadhaka, wherever we may be in our present stage. Hmm? We, need, we, we need to start to participate in heaven here. We need to start to participate in Lila here and now, hmm? in some way or another. Again, not to create some cheap imitation of I'm already in Lila or something. But in one way or another, we need to start to relate to that reality. We need to make the realm of Lila relevant and relatable to us in our present condition. So from there, we can progress to deeper and deeper levels of participation in it. And that will be the topic of our next class, which will be the last class of our series on this radical personalism in class number 25. But we'll finish here today. And a brief homework for those who would like to engage in it, try to reflect on possible misunderstandings about uh, this topic that we have shared today regarding our God the heaven is here on earth. A possible misunderstanding that may be happening in you, in your local nearby community, in case there is a local community there. And try to take some compassionate, sensitive action, starting at home, of course. So again, we will continue seeing us, each other, next Tuesday for our very last meeting of this Radical Personalism series, Meeting 25. And the title will be A New Way to Participate in Lila Here and Now, in connection to what we mentioned, how in our present condition we can start to identify with that the ultimate vision which pertains to the domain of Lila, and how do we can start to participate in a realistic way humble way, experiencing the reality of Lila as relevant and relatable to our present stage and gradually getting closer and closer to becoming eventually official members, if you will, of that uh, entourage, so to say. But we'll conclude here and we'll meet each other next Tuesday for the last meeting of Radical Personalism. 
श्री गोद्य संप्रदाय की जाय श्री मन महाप्रभु की जाय श्री हरि नाम संकीर्तन की जाय तिरुबाप महोत्सव तिथि श्री रामानंद राय की जाय गौर भक्त वृंद की जाय गौर प्रेमानंद हरि हरि बो वंशाकल्पतरुभ्यश्चृपा सिंधु 